So we're in our series on being an influence. And today I'm going to talk to you about being an influence in purity. And I got to looking at this and thinking about this, and a lot of times when we talk about purity, we only think of one aspect of it. But being an influence in purity is about how we live our life. There were two theological students, and they were walking along a street in the Whitechapel District of London. This was many, many, many years ago. And in this particular section, it was an area where old and used clothing was sold. And the, they looked at a sign in a window, and one of them said to the other, what a fitting illustration all this makes, as he pointed out to a suit of clothes hanging on a rack by a window, and the sign read like this, slightly soiled and greatly reduced in price. He said, that's it exactly. We get soiled by gazing at vulgar pictures. We get soiled by maybe reading a coarse book or allowing ourselves a little indulgence. Maybe it's something that's dishonest. Maybe it's lustful. Whatever it is, we, we get just a little soiled. And so when the time comes for our character to be appraised, the reality is we are greatly reduced in value. Much like the clothes in the, in the window. When we allow that to happen, our purity, our strength, our character is gone and we are just part and parcel of the general shop-worn stock of the world. Today, as I said, we're going to be talking about being an influence in purity. And I thought that story was a fitting way to begin. You see, the thing we need to remember when it comes to being an influence in purity is that continual slight deviations from the path of what is right will greatly reduce our usefulness to God and to our fellow Christians and to our fellow man. In fact, these little secret sins, these little things that we think nobody knows about, they can weaken our character so that when we face a moral crisis, we just can't stand the test. As a result, we go down in spiritual defeat because we've been careless about little things and, and accepting of little sins along the way. This message about being an influence in purity. It's, it's not about physical or sexual purity. It is to a point. But it's about mental and spiritual purity. So I believe when, when we attain those things, the physical things will come with it. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter twelve, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Show yourself an example in purity. We are called to influence those around us in purity. In, in the things we think about, in the things we say, in the way we act with each other, the way we love. I think sometimes that Christians are kind of like a bottle of water. We look good, but sometimes we aren't good. I want to illustrate this for you. And I've called up, I've got a brave volunteer. Cameron, come on up. You guys, we're, this will be great. Yeah, clap for Cameron. Um, we're going to do a little, little quick, quick little demonstration here. So you guys may not know this. This is Cameron. How's it going, man? You having a good week? Yes, sir. Cameron, he's one of those physical, healthy guys. He likes to work out. He, he likes to run even when people aren't even chasing him. It's just, <laughs> I don't get it, but he does. And, and so take us through just a typical workout for you. Like what, what's just a one good day? You know, maybe ab day or leg day. I don't know how you do it, but what's, what's like your favorite day to just really whatever part of your body you're just working out? Well, I always go full body. Oh, full body. So, um, just warm up. I um, 
move a little bit, and then I get into the racks. All right. Start moving. The racks, is that like a torture thing for the medieval times where they stretch you out? Like, that's not what racks are, is it? No. no. Okay. All right, so it's barbell or, or the, the weights and stuff. All right. How long does it take you, start to finish, for a good workout? Hour, hour and a half. Hour and a half. That's a good nap. Right? <laughs> I'm just, you, it shows, right? You can see the difference. You're like, some of you are like, try the workout, big guy. Yeah. Um, so at the end of a workout, what's, what do you grab? Like, what's the one thing you really want? A water. A water. I just happen to have this. Look, that one's for you. Just a great, clear, fresh, re- refreshing bottle of water. Just take a big swig. Just have some. Just there you go. Just drink that. Yeah. Refreshing. <laughs> oh, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. I'm glad I gave you a bottle full of vinegar. Yep. There, there's the real one. He was trying to hold it in, but if you, uh, if you're wondering, this one's filled with white vinegar. Yeah. Jesse, Jesse Faust is over there going, that's like the time he made me brush my teeth and drink orange juice. All right, Cameron, go take that water. Big hand for Cameron. I'm going to put this down right here so I don't accidentally drink it. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. There's some nasty things in our world. You know, you look at a mud puddle. You're like, I'm not going to drink out of that. It's a, it's a mud puddle. Cars have driven through it or, you know, it's, it's out in the middle of the woods. Animals have walked. I'm not drinking out of that. But some things, like vinegar, looks just as clear and refreshing as spring water. Some chemicals, clear, just look crystal clear. I, hey, speaking of that, <laughs> side note, who remembers clear Pepsi? Talk about something that tastes horrible and, and looked like it would be refreshing. <laughs> That clear Pepsi was rotten. But there are things, you know, a glass of vinegar placed next to a clear glass of water will fool the eye. They look almost exactly alike, but the reality is, especially if you're talking about poisons and stuff, one has death in it, and the other is life. You have to discover which is which by means other than drinking from them. Now, Cameron was in on the joke. He... He could have smelled it and been like, oh no, that's vinegar. But he, he kind of knew what was coming and I appreciate him for playing along. But there are other ways to figure things out than to just start drinking right from it. All right. I, I always tell, I was substituting at Sparkman High School and they got on the conversation of Tide Pods. And I said, you know, you don't have to eat a Tide Pod to know that it can kill you. All right. It's, it's just, it's detergent. It's bad news. And, and so stay away from it. Some things you have to discover whether they're good or bad without getting them on you. Acid. Most acids are clear. You put a little dab behind the ear, you're going to regret it because you don't want to cross that up with your cologne. In the same way, there are things in life that are deadly but have the appearance of goodness. It's why we have to make a choice about our activities. We have to make a choice about the things we take pleasure in. We have to make a choice about where we go for our amusement. Our, or, or we have to actually put action with it. You can't come to your decision on the basis of just appearances. Well, it doesn't look that bad. I remember growing up, my dad would often say in the, in the world of cheese, just cut the end off of it that's moldy. It'll be all right. Well, I get it because cheese is mold. But you can't do that with like a bad piece of chicken. You eat a piece of chicken in the refrigerator and it's been there for two weeks uncooked. You don't just cut one end off and go ahead and cook it. That's, that's bad news. See, Jesus shares with us, and the Sermon on the Mount, 
He talks about the Beatitudes. And specifically, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he shares this one Beatitude with us. He says, Blessed, or blessed, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that got me thinking about this, this concept of being an influence in purity. And what is it to be pure in heart? I think sometimes we, we read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we read about these Beatitudes, and we see them as kind of a, a type of a ladder that, that we just kind of go up the steps and it'll carry us to heaven. There's, you know, if, you, if you're poor in spirit, you've passed the first rung. If you mourn, you've reached the second rung. If you're meek, you've come to the third rung. And, and as you go through the Beatitudes, you're like, there I go, up and up. But then... We come to this one, to verse 8. Blessed are the poor in heart, or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this whole approach breaks down. This whole climbing a ladder approach. Because see, blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus says this, for they will see God. We break it down because we can't understand his words this way. Jesus is entirely clear that our effort to climb into God's presence by way of the beatitude, it just, it fails. It doesn't work that way. These words of Jesus kind of pull the ladder out from under you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Whoop! <laughs> Wait a minute. You see, purity of heart implies sincerity. John Stott points out that Jesus' words in this beatitude have often been understood in the terms of inward purity. He notes that popular inter- interpretation is to regard purity of heart as an inner cleansing from moral defilement, as opposed to merely ceremonial cleansing. But he also proposes that the core idea expressed in this statement has to do with the singleness of heart. What Jesus puts out here is the single self as opposed to the divided self. Are you familiar with the divided self? That's what a lot of we we want to do what's right, but then we turn around and still do, (laughs) still drink from the vinegar. (laughs) We want to drink from the water. It's everlasting, but we still turn back to the bottle of vinegar. It's kind of the divided self, if you will. It's the person who presents the true self to God and man. That's the single self. It, it, if this is true, the opposite of purity of heart is hypocrisy. And John Stott says that he describes pure in heart this way. He says, the very heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior, or bias. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent to them. They are without guile. What then must the hypocrite be like? We all know people who are hypocrites. No pointing. Most of us are convinced that we aren't one of them. Hypocrisy is something that other people do. I'm not saying there's no one willing to admit to being a hypocrite, but usually those who admit to hypocrisy are usually trying to make the opposite point about themselves. What they really mean is I'm the only person genuine enough to admit that I'm inconsistent, so therefore I'm not really a hypocrite. Wait a second. It's all you other people who say you're not. They really are hypocrites. People who think like this are right in one respect. Hypocrisy is all about presenting a false face to both God and man. See, if you're, if you're presenting a false face to both God and man, you will not be able to pursue or be involved or influence someone with purity in your life. The word hypocrite itself originated in, in the world of Greek drama. It's come to refer to someone who is playing a role. Being what you're really not. This particular beatitude of Jesus presents a problem before it offers us a promise because it's very hard for me not to present a false face to God. It's very hard for all of us sometimes to not present a false face to God. A lot of times we are tempted to come into God's presence like an actor wearing a mask. There's a Christmas poem titled In the Bleak Midwinter 
by Christina Rossetti. And in it, she describes the nativity of Christ and she asks this question, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. Give him my heart. Give him my true heart. I think if I knew your heart, or if you knew my heart the way that I know my heart, or if I knew your heart the way you know your heart, you would understand why sometimes we would rather come into the presence of God wearing a mask than just bringing our heart. See, I know my heart, and you know your heart, and the Bible tells us that we really don't know our hearts at all. <laughs> Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, this is what makes being an influence in purity so difficult. This is our condition. This is what makes hypocrisy so easy to spot in others and so hard to self-diagnose. It's, it's why even those who admit to being a hypocrite easily miss the mark. The admission itself is often a symptom of the disease. We take off the mask to reveal another mask. We take off that mask to reveal another mask. Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? Some of you may have read that book. And, and I, I went back to it. He writes this about himself. He says, As a child, I put on my best behavior on Sunday mornings, dressing up for God and for the Christians around me. He says, It never occurred to me, though, that church was a place to be honest. As I seek to look at the world through the lens of grace, I realized that imperfection is a prerequisite for grace. That's what he wrote in his book. You see, Philip says, light only gets in through the cracks. <laughs> Purity of heart has to imply cleansing. Where, where sinful people are concerned, there can be no singleness of heart without cleansing. The word that's translated pure in Matthew 5.8, it's a word that also just means clean. And taken by itself, it could refer to something that has always been pure, something that has been clean from the very start. But if we look at it, the way this idea is treated throughout the Scriptures, we find the biblical concept of purity always implies the need for cleansing. Look at the Old Testament. Especially when you think about the law of Moses. It's obsessed with the need for cleansing. There, there are clean and unclean foods. There are actions and states that make a person unclean or that you can, there are things you can do to maintain your cleanliness. There are ceremonies for cleansing. In the law of Moses, every approach to God begins with an act of cleansing. Not even the high priest, the only worshiper permitted to enter directly into God's presence, was exempt from a ceremonial cleansing before he could go in. The message in this was clear. Everybody stands in need of cleansing. The other message of Old Testament worship was equally important. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't, you can't cleanse yourself. You see, it was built around the, the, this concept of worship in the Old Testament. It was built around the concept of a substitute. The ceremonial cleansing in the law of Moses was mediated through the shedding of blood. In the book of Hebrews, the law says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
But there's a problem with this system. Even though it was a bloodshed prescribed by God, it couldn't fully and finally cleanse the believer from sin in the Old Testament. More importantly, these ceremonies, as significant as they were, they couldn't reach the center from which all thoughts and actions flow. They were unable to cleanse the heart. And since they couldn't cleanse the heart, they were unable to cleanse the conscience. The best they could do really is remind the worshiper continually of the need to be cleansed. The New Testament also is concerned with cleansing, but looks at it from a different angle. Old Testament worship looked forward to a sacrifice to come. New Testament worship looks back on a sacrifice that has been made once and for all. Hebrews 9.13-14 tells us, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling, those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now that God has cut away our good intentions and exposed our masks, what do we have to offer him? I have only one heart. If I can't offer him a pure single heart, I must offer him my divided heart, my guilty heart, my mourning heart, my trusting heart. And because of what Jesus has done for you and I, we can offer our cleansed heart. You see, Jesus' Word, when we read it, when we apply it to our lives, it takes us down into the depths of our hearts until we see ourselves as, as we truly are and we recognize our need and we offer our true selves to Christ. Like children who, who stand on top of the stairs afraid to walk down into the darkness and shadow of the hallway. Have you ever been there? We don't want to go but we know that we must. It's our only hope. There's a promise that comes with these words. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, purity of heart implies transformation. It's, this promise gives us confidence that we can finally remove the mask. It's what gives us courage to make the trip into the depths of our hearts. We know we're messed up, especially when we start to measure ourselves against God's Word. But as we go into the depths of our hearts, we know that someone else has made the journey before us, and Christ will meet you in that dark place. And more importantly, we know that Christ alone has the power to transform our house of darkness into a place of light. James 4, verses 8-10 through 10 says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Say this next line with me. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Notice this is not an invitation to the pure. James is not calling the pure, but he's calling those in need of purity. The invitation is addressed to those who, whose hands and hearts need cleansing. Those who are grieved by the state of their hearts. Draw near to God. Take off your mask. Offer your true heart. Offer it not in hopeless resignation, but in hope that He will lift you up. Offer Christ your sins and He will take them away. Offer Christ your hands and He will wash them clean. Offer Christ your divided heart and He will give it back to you whole. And you can be an influence in purity to those around you. This is our hope when we come to Christ for the cleansing. This is the hope that we will re He will receive us and lift us up. It's the hope of transformation. In order to be a better influence on the world, we need to admit our shortcomings to God and let Christ cleanse us. Don't be like the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees? 
there in the Old Testament, they were so focused on observing laws, especially the purity laws of the Old Testament. They, they were so focused that they added more laws of their own to make sure that they didn't transgress. And you think, well, that's not a bad thing. Putting in a few, you know, safety reminders. And you're right, it's not. Except that in time, the laws that they imposed became, began to supersede God's laws. And eventually the laws that they imposed for them became a substitute for God's laws. And their extra measures just didn't go far enough. Jesus even called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look good on the outside, but you're full of bones and everything unclean on the inside. In the same way, when we pretend to be pure in heart on the outside, you appear to be people that are righteous. But on the inside, we're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What makes this approach to purity appealing to me is that it, it deals with things on the surface, the things that are most accessible. It, it focuses on the externals. It's also attractive. It's, it's quantifiable. We like, to, we like to count the laws. That's why they added a few more. That, hey, we don't want to mess this up. Let's add to it because it's quantifiable. We can, we can get behind that. I can keep score. It's easy for, my, for me to compare myself to others. It's, it's easy for us to do that. It's easy to, to, to um, delude ourselves into thinking that, well, if I, if I look holy to others, then I am holy. If I look like I've got it all together, my spiritual life then becomes more about keeping up appearances than about transformation. It doesn't take long for the facade that we've constructed to start showing cracks. The outside looks good, but the inside hasn't changed. Another reason that we may not be as transformed as we would like is because we're still in the process. The transformation of character that comes to us through Christ. It's a progressive work of the Holy Spirit. It happens over time. But see, Satan likes to stop us quick as, as, as we're, we're trying to mature in Christ. He wants to delude us. He wants to distract us. He wants to convince us that we're just not going to make it. So over time, that progressive work just stops but in order to be an influence in purity, there's a cooperation aspect to it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we have to participate in this work too. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. These things don't come easy. There's often an element of struggle like the Apostle Paul. We find that, that when we want to do good, evil is right there with us. He wrote, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I do. We start the day telling ourselves that we're going to do better. And then we get out of bed. <laughs> Before we even get out the door, like an uninvited guest who shows up just in time to ruin the party, sin makes its presence known. Our spouse says something that irritates us and we snap back, matching anger for anger or hurt for hurt. You look innocently in someone's direction and suddenly find your mind is moving towards a place you know is wrong. Maybe you put your money in the offering plate and, and you begin to regret it as the, pay, the plate goes on past you. We, we sing these songs with every intention of concentrating on God, but then we find ourselves comparing our voices to the people around us. And like a rude family member who has stayed too long that we had hoped would move out and move on, evil comes right up next to us with a smirk to remind us that he still hasn't left. That's when we need to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Ultimately, these are words of promise. 
They show us our need. And they should motivate us to call out to Christ for cleansing. But they also show us our destiny. They point to the day when the struggle will be over and the transformation will be complete and pure. You see, being an influence in purity, it's not only about the physical side of life, it's about our spiritual life. It's about what we allow in this vessel while we're here on earth. And it starts with allowing Jesus and God's Word to be your primary influence. As we come to our response time this morning, I want you to consider the steps that you should take so that you can be an influence in purity to those around you. Maybe your first step is to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let that transformation begin. Maybe you'd like to consider partnering with us here at Huntsville Christian Church and place your membership with us this morning where you can help us be an example of purity and God's love in this community. Maybe your first step in being an influence in purity is to spend some time with the elders in prayer about something. They're here. They'd love to pray with you. Whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing our response song with us? Respond to God's word. Come as you are. Offer your divided heart to Jesus and let him change it. It's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to challenge you in God's word. But now it's time to go to win and commit to grow. As you go today, remember this. In order to go to win, we have to be a positive influence in the lives of the people around us. We have to be willing, especially to be an influence in purity to others. Because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but our world is not the best influence when it comes to purity. Not, don't go to be that influence because you're going to get something in return. But because that's what we're called to be, a reflection of Christ. In order to be that influence, you have to commit to grow. You have to commit to grow in the time you spend reading God's Word, praying, studying His Word, and the time spent with Him, so that then we can indeed show ourselves approved. And remember these things as we go to win and commit to grow this week. Will you sing this last song with us?